welcome to episode 15 Lost in Translation with Bobby Martin. I'm Sam Perkins. We're joined today with one of my seriously favorite people on the planet, Mark Flavin, known as, as Flav or Big Flav to at least everyone who knows him from a certain time period. I don't know if people still call you that who meet you today, but uh, he is large because uh, Bobby is a very large gentleman and Flav <laughs> makes him look somewhat normal sized. Uh, Flav, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here, Flav. It's good to be back. Bobby, how long has it been since you saw Flav? I mean, it's been a decade at least, right? Well, I think I, I ran into you at the, I think at the Northeastern game, right? Okay, so it was yeah, less than a decade. Yeah, yeah. Okay, think, so six yeah. years maybe? Yeah, I think it was about yeah, six yeah. years shortly. I, I think we caught one of the games down there. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, and then shoot, what is it, since 2000, was it 8, 2009? Right, 8 or 9. Yeah. yeah. So that is like a decade because we're in yeah. 2022 now, right, man. That's, right. Yeah, for, so, Bobby, tell me about uh, how you got to know, to know Flav. So Flav and I shared um, the same trainer, coach, personal coach, Wayne Albert. Um, I was towards the end of my career, and Flav was beginning his. So, um, you know, we, we hit it off on the court. Uh, Wayne um, allowed me to, you know, teach a little bit. And, uh, you know, that, that's basically it. You know, it just, it's, it's basketball. It's a small world. And uh, I just met a great person. Funny dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, I was very fortunate enough to, you know, to, to run into Bobby and, and Wayne and, you know, kind of stay on the on the straight and narrow, right? Especially where you know where my background was, and being easily influenced, as they would say, right? What does Dean Smith say? That big men don't peak until they're twenty six years old, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Now he didn't talk about maturity, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I lagged there a little bit, but um, no, it was uh, it, it was a great experience. Listen, um, you know that you know, Bobby and, and Wayne opened up some doors. I mean, I think after the summer we worked out, I went down to. I signed a contract down in South America um, with Udine Atletica. Mm-hmm. I think one of the gentlemen that you had on here, he played. Oh down yeah, there as yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah. Antonio yeah. Bivens, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't so. you set a rebounding record down I there? I did. I did. Twenty-six rebounds in, in forty minutes. And then Ryan Humphrey came down and, and stole. And Ryan that. came down. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, as he should, though. I mean. Humphrey was a beast, right? Yeah, he was. He really no was. No question about Notre it. Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame. Just a, just, yeah. Where did he go, number 13, 14 on the draft? Yeah, I think Orlando drafted yeah. him. Yeah. 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 But just, and a great dude, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of fun, too. Bobby, Bobby what, what do you remember about Flav as a player when you when you played with him, worked with him? Jumps really high. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember great hands, um, very nice feel for the game, and... Uh, Clueless, <laughs> just and just in, in, in the maturity aspect, yeah. though, you know. And I mean, don't get me wrong. You, I was a veteran by that time, so I'm sure that I shared a lot of those same similarities, you know, as, as a younger player. But uh, a seriously talented guy, couldn't jump, but understood the game. I feel like it's one of those things, Flav. Do you ever think about if you came, if you were born like ten years later, the way the game has evolved? Because you were a guy that you could really, if anyone ever saw you in an open gym. I mean, I became friends with Flav after college. I knew of Flav since high school because Massachusetts is small. If you're an athlete, you know of other athletes. He was at, you know, Weymouth. He wasn't even prepping, and he this kid just came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden's like six nine and like you know seventeen pounds. Right. Um, but skilled as hell, and I think a lot of people that even saw you in college games didn't realize that you could like shoot the shit out of him. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And do you ever think about if you came, if you were born like 10 years later, the way the game is now where bigs are, are not just allowed, but they're like encouraged to shoot, spread sure. the ball, that your career could have been on a little bit different trajectory, the way that you could shoot it? Yeah, you know, as far as, you know, my ability to be able to spread the floor, um, you know, it was unique. Um, so that's why I think I tailored my game tailored pretty well for, for you know, Europe and, and South America, um, because I did shoot anywhere between three, three to five threes mm-hmm. a game, right? So, um, you know, and I enjoyed that that part of it, right? It was just being able to spread the floor, and if you get a big guy, right, you know, and trying to bang down when you're only 250 pounds, right? So, it, you know, it, it worked out well for me. As far as, you know, 10 years, I mean, obviously the game has changed, right? I mean, there's no question about it, but, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much of it, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of injuries too. You know, I've got a lot of scar tissue on my L2, L3. Um, you know, even Bobby... You know, I had a lot of issues with my knee. Mm-hmm. I think you guys brought oh, in the, the Raptors. You guys brought mm-hmm. in the Raptors trying right. to do some right. uh, some osteopathic stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know it's it's hard to tell. I can never change, right? You yeah. can't change the past, or yeah, you can try to predict the future. But you know who I, I see him being, and I, I, I totally get what you're saying. This, he was probably a version of Mark Gasol. Yeah, mm. I can totally um, see that. I loved Mark. Yeah. You know, he wasn't Powell. But right. he'll kill you. Mark wasn't a guy that was going to hang out on the perimeter. He knew mm-hmm. he could do damage around the paint. Mm-hmm. But you sag off him a little bit, and he's going to make you pay for mm-hmm. it. I think that's a really good comparison yeah. to Flip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Flip, just before we – I want to talk about your past because we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, and it's just a remarkable story to me. Um, uh, and and, and Flip's someone that I look up to personally. And some people that know Flip might be like, look up to Mark Flavin. But Flav's ability to go through some really, really, really bad shit and come out on the other side and be like a great dad and be a successful businessman and a guy that I just don't, every time I talk to him, it's like he brings me up. I've, Flav's one of those friends that like I might not hear from him for a while and I don't do a great job of reaching out to people and then I'll get a random to call at like three in the morning and now I'm sleeping because I'm old and fat and just on the verge of death all the time, but I'll call him back the next day. Um, and it always picks me up. Like, it always makes me feel, like, like better because I can get down on stuff. Flav called me every year on the anniversary of my mom dying. And he never met my mom, but he, he knew who she was. He knew of her. And to me, that, it, it, really, it really resonates in a way that touches me very deeply because after you lose people, um, the first couple years, everybody's, like, around, and then everybody goes back to their life. That's how people are. They go back to their lives. Mm-hmm. And Flav always reaches out. And, and that's very meaningful to me, and I think it says a lot about who he is as a person. Um, but I, I, I want to talk a little bit about w- what you're willing to share about your background, about, about growing up. You grew up in Weymouth, and, sure. and you dealt with some, 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 real, some real serious stuff growing up. Sure, sure, yeah. No, I, I feel comfortable in talking because I don't think I'd be the person that I am today without going through the adversity that I went through growing up, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a true believer in uh, that things will always get better, right? So, you know, for me growing up, you know, in the Whitman's Pond, Whitman's Pond projects, right, in East Weymouth. So for people that don't know, it's the only Section 8 housing project in Weymouth. Weymouth's a very blue-collar town. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I never met my father. Uh, you know, my mother, you know, battled drugs and alcohol her whole life. Um, so really I was kind of running around, you know, Running around the projects, kind of just learning things, right? Figuring things out, kind of letting the street teach me. So, 
Um, and then I always had an athletic ability, right? Played a little bit of baseball, football. Um, but then ninth grade came around, right? And I grew five inches in one year. Went from six feet to six five, and I said, all right, I'm going to try, try hoops mm-hmm. out. So um, my best friend um, at the time, uh, his father was running a, you know, a, a junior league, um, mostly just for his son, right? He was a great player. His name was Dave Donellan. His, his parents actually semi-quasi adopted me, um, per se. But, um, yeah, he really introduced me to the game. And then, you know, once he picked up the ball, it was, that's, that's what we did, you know. We played basketball all day, all day. But his father instilled some, some, some values inside, um, you know, that I take and I, I use every day, right? So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's getting up early. I mean, you talk about, you know, I'll call you at 3 a.m., but I'm up at 6 a.m. too, <laughs> right? And it wasn't always like that. Um, but, no, as far as, as far as that goes, yeah, life wasn't easy. Um, but, you know, the experiences that I've had, especially playing over – overseas, right, flying into Ukraine, Kiev, Mariupol, right, playing games. You look at these people, right, there's no middle class. It shows show the corruption that's really there, right? You're either rich or you're poor. And um, so I look back and I say, did I really have it that bad, right? So people have it a lot worse. So that's how I look at it. And if, if you have a positive attitude, I think, um, I think that's, that can get you, in a, you know, out of that, maybe that emotional stall that you're in right so yeah for me for me it was just notice the grind you know and just being a kid really and surrounding yourself I guess around you know the right people so was it was it hard being at home with with your mom battling addiction oh absolutely yeah I mean yeah I mean I dealt with you know child abuse there's no question about it um you know because she would start drinking at you know 10 a.m you know she'd probably be passed out before she started screaming and yelling throwing things at you know four or five so I'm a true believer in, you know, addiction and what it is. It is a disease, and I understand that, right? But I also understand, you know, being a father now, right, that I could never put I could never put a substance in front of, you know, being able to provide for my family. So I think going through that, it's, it's taught me. Maybe not taught me because I think I always had it in me. Um, but, yeah, there's no excuses. You know what I mean? I think, you know, we live in a great country where – it's truly there's opportunities everywhere, so no matter what you want to do. You you didn't your dad wasn't ever in your life. Nope. I think you told me you knew who he was. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think I was 13, 12 or 13 years old. So the mail would come, and it would say Patricia Flavin, but it would never have a return address. Mm-hmm. Every week that same letter kept coming in. So I opened it up, and it was a personal check that my father was court-ordered that he had to pay $100 a week So because my mother had led me to believe that uh, my father had died in a car accident when I was younger. So dealing with that and coming to find out that he was a union painter in Quincy. So literally, you're right across the bridge, right? So going through that, I think, was, was a struggle. But you know, when I did find out who he was, I already at that point you know, had my best friend's parents that kind of just took, took me in, you know, at that point I was sleeping at their house. I, you know, I left, I would say I left the, I left the projects probably in ninth grade, you know. How, how, how big of an influence did your, your best friend and his parents have on you? Like, 
do you ever think about well, what if you he hadn't come into your life and you you hadn't had that you know had, that it sounds like it was like a, a safe place to go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what was their impact on you, and, and what do they mean to you even to this day? Oh, even you know, to this day, I'm I'm forever in debt. Um, I think that they saw the love that you know me and their son had, Dave, and they just they didn't think twice about it, right? They just mm-hmm. took me in, and they weren't financially, you know, in a place to be able to do that either, you know. But they just made it happen, right? So, um, forever in debt, you know, w- with them. Um, his sister is essentially my sister. Um, her son is my godson. She's the godmother to to my son. So, it's just it's family, you know. It's and that's how I look at it, and that's how I talk to them. So, um, yeah, forever, forever in debt. I mean, who knows where I could have been, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're very influential at that age too. So, but once again. I got to be thankful for basketball because if I hadn't picked up that basketball, who would know, right? So, you know, were you ever, did you ever go through a phrase? Because now you're not like an angry person. You're <laughs> this big dude, but it's like, this is not an angry guy. Did you go, did you, were you ever, when you were younger, like angry, like no dad, mom's battling addiction, you know, you, you, did you ever go through that phase? You know, you hear about kids being angry when they're younger and they're. Not so much younger, right? Because. At that age, right, you don't know what you don't know, right? So, you know, I think at, probably until I was about 11, 12 years old, I thought that that's, that's how life was. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, once again, I was a pretty positive kid. And, you know, my motto is I treat the, I treat the janitor like I treat the CEO to this day, right? So I'm going to give you the utmost respect. But if I feel like you're shortchanging me, I guess that, that that's an issue that we gotta we got to address at that but. Yeah, as a child, no, it's just, I think it falls in line with what you, what you don't know. You that, don't that's know, amazing. So. You know, it, I think most of the studies show that, you know, if, if the child, the environment the child's in is going to influence how the child grows. So now, or how the child's brain develops, actually. Sure. So now you're in there with a mom who's got substance abuse issues, and somehow, when you changed your environment to your best friend and, um, I'm sorry, the, the, his parents, right? Yep, yep. All of a sudden, you know, the, the chip changes, right? The chip turns on, and your mind gets a chance to relax a little bit. You're not stressed out because you're around your mom. Correct. Right? Correct. And you actually change your perspective or actually regain your, you know, perspective, the one that's positive. Absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think you, you hit the nail, nail on the head. It's just... You know, like I said, I'm forever in debt. And then it really opened up your eyes to see what the what the rest of the world is really like, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, it's not like that. Because, you know, I think there's what? There's probably 52 units in the, in the, in the Whitman's, in the Whitman's, yeah, Whitman's yeah. Pond uh, projects. But, That's you know, funny, 52, huh? I think there's 52 units. 52 weeks in a year? I know, ironic, right? <laughs> right, right. Ironic, right? <laughs> okay, cool. But it's opened up my eyes to, you know, educating myself on, you know, the welfare system, right? Yeah. And how it's being abused, right? Or how it's becoming generational. You know what I mean? So Or Brett Favre. Yeah. How about him? <laughs> Ooh. But I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah, keep, I, I didn't want to derail your point. Uh, no, 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 I just no, had no. to put that in. But, right, but, right. but continue, please right, continue. Right. Right. Yeah. But if you look at, if you look at the history of welfare, um, welfare, and I believe in welfare, as a short term, right? Yeah. Solution, right. Assistance. The problem is that it's been so widely spread and, and underfund, uh, underfunded from, you know, a uh, uh, personnel standpoint yeah. because 
welfare originated, it was actually, it originated right after World War II. And it was to assist our uh, veterans coming back, mm -hmm. right? To acclimate, come yeah. back to, um, you know, civilian life, really. So when I look at it and the history of it, truly believe it, but then I see how much it's abused. So, you know, I come down, I spend, obviously, I come down to Weymouth. Every time, you know, I drive right by 7B Memorial Drive. I drive right, right through it. And it's the same, same, same place. It hasn't changed, right? So, but it, it, it actually, it, for me, it gives me, some people are like, how do you do it? Why, why do you go by? I said, because it's, it, it's allowed me to, to see where I'm at now, right? And where I could have been. So for me, it's, it's actually therapy to, to drive through I, it. I think, I think it's, I don't know if it's, if it's being humbled. Sometimes I think when people are like, oh, it humbles me. It's like, well, you needed to be humbled. And that's not, but I mean, I think knowing where we came from or what we overcame those bad things is like, is, is really important. You know, I've talked about, you know, me with, with my son, Jack, Bobby and I had a, had a talk on, on, um, we had an episode on fatherhood and that when, when Jack was first born, I really struggled with being a dad and not struggled like I wasn't like abusive or neglectful or endangering him, but like, like that connection, like it was right. like, and I was in a bad place in life and, and, and it still gives me tremendous guilt to this day, but I think it's important, not that I, I dwell on it. I wish I didn't think about it as much as I do, but it's important that I never forget that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that I always remember like how blessed I am to to be a dad and have this relationship I have today with my son. And so um, there's a little winding road away from you going by where you grew up, but I think it's that same kind of idea of like never losing sight of, of where you came from or the bad places that you've been so that you remain, I guess, one, hungry so you don't go back there, right, but right. two, uh, like appreciative of the mm -hmm. things that you have well, that, and, and the journey that you've been on. That's the purpose of memory, right? Not yeah. to dwell on all this, all this stuff that, you know, that, that makes you feel bad, but to mm -hmm. remember the things that keep you out of trouble, that, that help you maintain focus, right? That help you live a positive life. I think most of the time, what do we do? We, we, the things we remember are the things that hurt us the most, mm -hmm. and we really never get a chance to get over them, right? Because yeah. we won't address them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it affects everybody differently too, right? Yeah. I took a couple psychology classes. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but, like, everybody's different, so everybody's going to react different, right? You know, if you grab somebody that maybe, you know, had a silver spoon his whole life, right, and stuck them in the environment that I was in, you know, how would they react, right? But um, also vice versa, right? Yeah. At a young age, you know, you put me into... You, <laughs> you know, a white collar yeah. right, situation, you know, I might not know how to act, right? So yeah. I'm a true believer in experience. Or, or you might not work as hard if you just, from a really young age, were put into that kind of privileged sure. environment. But uh, it reminds, because I really want to get into your basketball journey, because yeah. that's kind of, but before that, you know, I was talking about my son. I see you and your son, uh, Quinn, who's who's a moose like his dad. <laughs> he's, he's, someone's he someone's going to offer him a scholarship next week. <laughs> I need to get some assistance on his meal plan. <laughs> but, but I want to talk to you about being a dad sure. when you didn't have a dad of your own or a, a mom who mm -hmm. was really capable of being the parent that you needed. How did you find your way through parenthood and, and, and what influences you as a parent now? Because you're super involved, and, and your wife Jen's amazing mm -hmm. mom, amazing person in general. I've 
met her twice, I think. But like, yeah. he's, uh, but just tell me about about how you found your way through kind of parenthood. Yeah, you know, for me, I would just I always look back at I never want my son to go through the experiences that I've had. It, it's funny you say because me and my my wife grew up on thirty nine acres in Alfred, Maine, right? Um, it, great family. My background, right? A little mm-hmm. bit different. So our parenting styles are a little bit different, um, where she's the more comforting, right? Um, and listen, you know, I'll never, I'll never hit my child or anything like that. But he's at the age now when he knows he's acting up, you know. And I'll get stern with him, right? So I think we have a good balance, right, of that. But I mean, you know, I guess my biggest fear is just, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, watch my watch my son grow up. You know, it's crazy. It's like every week he's changing a little bit. I mean, you're going through it with Jack, right? So, and you see it, and it's it's pretty amazing, right? So um, my only regret is that me and my wife waited a little bit too long, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I wish, wish, you know, she's at the age of 42, you know, stand complications. Um, She had uh, gestational hypertension, too, so um, the experience wasn't, overly great she had to get an emergency section but Quinn was healthy which is great so um yeah my only regret is not having not having another child so and not to say that we're not going to um you know we've brought up maybe adopting so Mm -hmm. um we we might look at that route as well so Uh, that I mean I just I always think it's remarkable when you have people that didn't have you know, parents or good parents or whatever mm-hmm. that then become good parents. And it's like that, that motivation of like, I don't want my kids to go through that. Not everybody has that for some reason, right. but it's, it's like, it's like how it should be. Right. I mean, for me, you talk about your fear not being around. I have that same fear myself, like having lost both my parents that like, mm-hmm. I am, I never, before I had kids, I was very self-destructive mm-hmm. and put myself in dangerous situations and didn't think twice about it. And, but I am, <laughs> petrified now like I have, if I have health issues I, like like I mm-hmm. am scared of dying for the first time in my life sure. because I'm like I don't want my kids to go through what I went sure. through and and grow up without you know without a, a, a dad sure um, but uh, anyways let's no no it's, it's, it's good <laughs> let me piggyback off yeah. a little bit about you know when you talk about how you're amazed that you know, the mentality that you have, you know, when you, you, when you haven't had those two parents, right? I have a different outlook on that. I get angry a little bit because excuse, I hate excuses. I hate them, right? I hate them in business. I hate them in life, right? And for somebody to sit there and say, excuse my French, I'm fucking up. I'm not doing right in life. Well, it's my upbringing. No, it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit mm-hmm. because that was in the past, right? So, for me, I don't have any tolerance for it, right? Especially as you get older, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I'm 40 years old right now. And, shit, 15 years ago, I was a completely different person, right? Yeah, right. You know, I think that I missed out so much, you know, in my childhood, you know, my teenage years, you know, even, you know, in my early 20s, right? When, you know, I didn't have a pot to piss in a window to throw it out at, right? So, for me, I try to make up for some of that lost yeah. time, right? You know, and I'm a true believer in life balance, right? And enjoying things, right? Mm-hmm. I never want to look back and say, shit, I should have done that. Or, you know, why didn't we take that vacation, right? right? Or because, unfortunately, 
time doesn't doesn't go backwards, right? So oh, no. right. I want my son to have all the experiences that I never had, right? Never been on a plane until I got to college, right? Yeah. Um, shit, never really even left the, the state of Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my son's been on the plane three times, right? I mean, he's... <laughs> I just want him to experience, you know, everything that's out yeah. there, right? So, yeah. You you mentioned that, um, you know, you don't you don't like the excuses or you mm -hmm. hate the excuses, and I mean it just goes to show that you know with age does not come wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's you know I think we like to say it, but it's just not true. You know, your experiences are absolutely gonna, you know, well they should, you know, teach you something to you know th that that's gonna add to your life. Sure. Um, sure. You know, I I grew up. Um, with my grandmother, you know, I, I, my mom died um, right after I turned a year old, uh, right before I turned a year old, and, uh, you know, I never knew my father, but mm -hmm. my grandmother used to always tell me, she says, um, you know, you came through your parents, right? They chose you, right? So the spirit that I came with was a mix of them both, and we spend our lifetimes, you know, just trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the best part of this piece of my mother? What's the best part mm -hmm. of this piece of my father? And putting those fragmented pieces together so we can be better for our offspring, mm -hmm. you know? And like you said, it's a daily task, right? You you never stop thinking about yeah. it, and you, you really hope that you get it right. But unfortunately, we don't get it right all the time. No. You know? No. And thank God that our children can see that, right? As right. long as the intention is there. Right, mm -hmm. they feel the love. You know, they feel it in your kisses. They feel it in your hugs. Right, and that's what makes it okay for them because they'll see that. Man, my my dad isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. My mom isn't perfect. But you know what? They are doing their best. Exactly, exactly. You know, that's the animosity I think I had towards you know you know my mother is the fact mm -hmm. that I understand addiction. You know, and disease. Yeah. It is what it is. But you know, I, there's nothing that's going to get in the way. You know, and. I'm fortunate enough where I don't have an addictive personality. Um, no, and I don't truly know what a real addiction is, I guess. Yeah. But if you, when you create a life, yeah, you know, for me, that's the number one priority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it, I will not let myself fail, right? Because I have to set an example, yeah, that's right? Because right. I want my son to be proud yeah. of who his dad is, right? Um, I want him to know you know, all the hard work, right, that gets put into it. Because I never got to play, you know, little youth basketball leagues, yeah. little leagues. I was sitting, you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember coming back from school being like, all right, they're going to little league practice. We couldn't even come up with the $75, you know what yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. to play at a little league. So, um, you know, I got him in, he's in basketball, he just finished t-ball. That's great. You know what I mean? Um, so I want him to just do whatever he wants to do, right? And, but... I am stern with him too. Yeah. So I know when he plays, he's got a little bit of that flavor in him. You know yeah. what I mean? Where, uh, where he can, you know. Any more than a little bit pushes, of flavor is, is a pushes, bit too he much. He pushes the envelope quite a bit. You know what I mean? My son Jack's a little. Uh, uh, yeah. Sometimes he. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's really getting into that smart ass mode now. Where, yeah. And and I'm not. I'm the like the like pushover parent. Like mm -hmm. my wife is like okay. always like. She gets really frustrated that I need to be sterner. I'm trying to work on it. It's it's, it's difficult. But, but he like, has one in her, right? Is yeah, she, she's the stern one. Yeah, right? okay. she is. But she doesn't want to be the bad guy all the time, which I understand. You That's know, guilt. You know, yeah, you That's don't want to be, right. be the bad cop all the time. Right. But, but your your but, makeup isn't one to just be bad. I'm not yeah, going to say badgering, yeah, but you know, to, <laughs> right. to dig yeah. into your kid and disappear yeah. was, like that, right? I don't see Sam pulling no, the belt out. No, he wasn't going. He wasn't going to bed one night. 
and and we had made a plan to go to bed. He's good with like with plans and like 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 we'll set alarms because transitions for him can be a little hard. And mm-hmm. it was like usually he's good, but he just was refusing to go to bed. And I'm there like mm-hmm. Jack. You promised us. Right. You said you were going to. And he just turns to me and goes, I don't know what to tell you, Daddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and me and my wife looked at each other and were like, well, what do we do now? Right. Oh, he doesn't know man. what to tell us. What, I know. what do we do? Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I know. My son's got a, he's got a little bit of flavor. In it, so you should see him now. He's, 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 he's a true salesman. You should see him. Uh, Dad, one more Paw Patrol. Just one more, and then I'll go right to bed. <laughs> so the great debater. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so so hoops, because we haven't really touched upon it at all. And you were a late bloomer. Obviously, you didn't pick up the game till late. Mm-hmm. You didn't. You had a growth spurt late. Mm-hmm. What was the 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 recruit? And you didn't you, you didn't go to a prep. I mean, when you were coming out in the early like like ninety nine two thousand. Uh, was your senior year? It wasn't like uh, if you're good, you have to go to prep, basically. But mm-hmm. for everybody, there were still some solid Massachusetts players coming from public schools. But prep was a thing. Mm-hmm. How did that recruiting process work for you? Yeah, so I think so. This this falls back into I guess parenthood, right? Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, I wasn't I wasn't really focused on on academics or school. I really wasn't, you know, and I didn't have direction. Didn't really like school, and I'm a unique situation. I've got a college degree, and I never took the SATs. Now, you're probably thinking, well, did you go JUCO? No. Never took the SATs, never went to JUCO, went straight to Maine. Maine had a a loophole in their system. It was called the Onward Program. And what it was was essentially it was um, a second chance for, for students to really get acclimated right to mm-hmm. to the to the college experience so essentially it was my pg at umaine right mm-hmm. now all the classes i took didn't go towards my degree right they were just mm-hmm. prepping you so um coach Giannini, man and coach Wilwood, those guys you know they uh they really pushed that side of it i mean listen i mean i got recruited at the you know at the three at umaine finish of the five right so yeah. mm-hmm. and that just shows kind of the american east anyways right Plus, I went from 187 pounds to 260. So, yeah. but a lot of that was right, just right, was right. just maturing, yeah. right? Like I never, yeah. I didn't shave my face until my junior year in college, right? Yeah. A lot of that had to do was just kind of growing yeah. up, right? But um, yeah, no basketball. I got recruited, you know, by Northeastern, BU, uh, you know, Rhode Island, UMass. Al Skinner at BC wanted me to go to St. Thomas More. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as as you know, but. I didn't take the SATs. My yeah. grades were shit. Um, so really, I only had one. Really, I only had one choice unless I was going to do a JUCO. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I no. wasn't educated in that process, so I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know know how that works. So did this onward program allow you to play your freshman year? Or was just no. Gonna, okay. So, so right. technically, it was a it was a red redshirt year. Yeah. So I could practice. I could practice with the team. I just couldn't travel, mm-hmm. um, which was fine, right? Because at that point. Um, you know, it was just more just, I yeah. needed to, I needed to, to prepare myself. Right. Um, because you know, you go from not even opening up a book and getting pushed through high school. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, okay, now it's, you know, yeah. you need to, you need to go to class and, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, I think, and like any other great NCAA program, you know, they've got the tools in place, right. You know, the study halls and the tutors that you need. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm forever in debt, uh, you know, to, to Coach Giannini and, and, and Ted Woodward. I mean, those guys, 
first saw me playing at a pro-am at UMass Boston. Um, I hadn't even committed to Maine or anything yet. You know, we had a squad. You know, it was me. Uh, Sean Fine. Remember Sean Fine mm -hmm. from Georgia Tech? I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lee Lee Anderson from, from Providence. The Babel Brothers. Remember the yep. Babel Brothers? Oh, Mike Babel could Mike jump Babel. out of the gym, oh, man. He's a beast. Mm. Uh, so, you know, playing in that is, is where Coach Woodward saw me, and that's when Coach G came down, and, um, you know, they presented that, that opportunity for me. I just need to, I need to get the fuck out of yeah, out of Weymouth, you know what I mean? I'm interested in knowing the uh, the impact that Coach Giannini had on you. He's a polarizing from... he's a polarizing coach amongst his former players. I'm, I'm he sure. is. Uh, for four years, I wanted to strangle him. Mm -hmm. um, but then I look back at it, and, and you know, when I talk about a guy who's appreciative, this guy there's there's not a Father's Day or a Christmas that goes by that I don't get a text message from Coach G. You know what I mean? You know, Flav, you're the best. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, Coach G, granted, we had a great before. When he left my junior year, we were coming off. We were all, He had three all-conference players. Yeah. You know, myself, Kevin Reed, yeah. and um, Eric Dawson. Yep. Mm. So, you know, we just we came off from getting yeah. blown out by Vermont. I had a... I had a uh, fractured leg. Yeah. I tried. I tried getting it. I guess you know. Yeah, I can only play a no minute move. in that yeah, game. I yeah, I even. I shouldn't even have. But you know, how many times are you gonna play on national TV, right? Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. But no, he's. Uh, you know, I, I I respect him as a you know as a coach. Um, I respect him as a family man. Um, you know, but he's he was that old. You know, hard nose. Yeah. You know, get in your face. You know, and he'd be flailing his arms. And he's the <laughs> least athletic guy I've ever seen. <laughs> but you know, we had some battles, and but what I liked about him is he didn't coach everybody the same. Yeah. Right. So because you got guys like me, right? Mm -hmm. Then he had, might have a Joe Campbell that yeah. you know grew up in Bangor that you know probably never even had a car broken into. And you know <laughs> what I mean? And, and, you know, he's never seen it. Then yeah. you got guys from Mockley, Florida, right? Yeah. Or you know Atlantic City in Jersey. Mm -hmm. So for him to be able to, you know gather all, all of us, right, where we got completely different backgrounds, where we wouldn't have probably even had a conversation with each other, you know, it became a, you know, a, a you know, fraternity, a brotherhood, right? Yeah, those rosters were really interesting. I love looking back over the old main rosters. You look at, you've got, you know, you've got city kids, you've got... You're Julian Dunkley, yeah, you've got Huggy yeah. Dye, you've got... Uh, yeah, you've got, you've got guys that are, that, that are from the city. Some of them have had gotten into trouble or have since gotten into sure. trouble. You've got guys like other the international contingent. Yeah. You've got, you know, Joe Campbell from the backwoods of Maine. Right. And you've got Flav. I'm, I'm like, still wondering you know, if, I mean, Freddie Peckis' uh, birth certificate is still questionable to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that dude was a 28-year-old freshman. I'm not, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, you had Dave, and Dave couldn't speak a word of English. No, no, looking like Ivan Drago, you know, running up and down the court. But uh, yeah, like I said, we're you know people from all all parts of the world, right? And to be able to come to a common ground, right, and and have the common goal, mm -hmm. um, you know, was great. Um, but it was great for me too. So, and it was good to come back, right? Especially during some of those summers, right? Yeah, I'd go to BU and, and play pickup runs, yeah. right? I'd be rocking that main gear walking. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> some good runs would be you back. Some great, some yeah. great runs. Really yeah, nice. at the roof, at the roof, yeah. roof. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, it was truly, truly amazing. I mean, listen, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now, right? Um, I think that competitive edge, right, has transitioned into my business, right? I mean, you look at a lot of these, you know, high-profile medical device positions, right, like the strikers of the world, 
Simba Bayam was the world. These were all like ex NFL. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ex, you know, hockey players, major league guys, right? Because give them the blueprint, right? But they're competitive, right? Yeah. So when you're looking at the rankings, right? There's no way in hell I'm going to be in the middle of the pack, right? And if you're money motivated, it's another good little step, right? Yeah. So if you're compensated for it, so no, I'm truly, truly grateful. Um, you know, that round ball opened up so many doors, right? How how tough was it your first two years to basically? Well, your first three because of the redshirt year did not. Mm-hmm. You really didn't leave the bench those no, first two no, years no, eligible. No, no, no. Well, and here's the thing: I was Justin Rao, right? I mean, he's a seven foot one guy that had a forty inch vert, right? Um, big Who's guy. This? What's his name? Justin Justin Rao. Okay. Yeah. Nick, Nick put him into the hoop one game. Nick did did, did <laughs> Nick right on his neck. That was great. <laughs> Um, Shout out to Nick Dillon. Yeah, Dillon. <laughs> good people. I like him a lot. We had, we had some good battles. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, you know, Justin Rao was a, you know, he was with that, I would say, semi-quasi-diamond in the rough, right? Yeah. Where he had the NBA, you know, potential, the body, yeah. right? But he was a mental midget. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and as you know, right, basketball is not just about athletic ability, right? So... Yeah. Um, he also know. couldn't catch a bounce pass. No, he couldn't. He couldn't. <laughs> he couldn't. But he, he was with Phoenix in yeah, the preseason. He was. Yep. And then, you know, he, I don't know what he's doing. Nobody knows where yeah. Justin is. I've he, asked. He might be in the South America rainforest right now. I, running around. That I, guy's I've, different. I've asked, you know, you, Freddie, Dave, Kevin Reed. I've asked the older guys like Derek Jackson, Eric yeah. Green. I asked Giannini. Nobody knows nobody where knows. Justin Rao is. No, nobody he knows. Is, he doesn't have an online footprint. Bobby, and this guy, this guy is big. Yeah, he, he, he's big. legit seven, you know. Oh, no, like, se- seven, seven, one, seven yeah. one, but, like, big broad shoulders, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And nobody, nobody, he has vanished, vanished. off the wow. chase. He might be time-traveling. Like, you know, Brian maybe. Williams. <laughs> so, his, his, it's funny. So, I actually, I roomed with him my freshman year. So, he was two years older because he transferred from, like, a Division two Christian school down yeah. in Florida. Okay. His father was a pastor. Yeah. So, he really wasn't well-versed in, like, real life. <laughs> like, this dude took an anthropology course and just lost his shit. Because that's, no, no, this, he didn't believe in evolution. <laughs> this dude did not believe in it. He goes, nope. He stood up in class, called out the professor. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Uh, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. It, it, he's, he was different. So, yeah, I ruined with him my freshman year, and I said, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. You know what I mean? I heard he got locked inside the library once. Yeah, he's listen. <laughs> this, this guy, he was he was different, man. He was real, yeah. you know, real different. But who knows? I mean, I hope I hope he's doing well. Yeah. you know what I mean. You're, so your junior year, you come out from behind his shadow. He graduates, mm-hmm. and you just exploded, especially dur- during the conference season. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, by the end of the year, it got to the point where people knew, like, if if you got the ball, mm-hmm. it was automatic. I mean, you were shooting. In the high fifties, yep. if not sixty percent in conference play, like mm-hmm. you remember BU when uh, you had like twenty at the half, everybody was like, "Oh, he's going to score forty. Like, yeah. what's going on here?" Um, Finished with like twenty-four. <laughs> <laughs> <God> damn, <laughs> Dennis Wolf triple teaming me. Yeah. Well, I remember they started fronting so much they just were preventing the entry passes because yeah. it was like once you got the ball, you were still scoring. But they just, you know, went out of their way to make it just he yeah. just cannot touch. He can't get a first touch. Um, mm-hmm. But. Uh, what was that like that that first year finally coming out from behind and getting to play and then getting to like really prove that you were well you know I'm a true believer in paying your dues right and and that's actually transitioned into my to my business right yeah life um you know I was 
I was still dominating in practice, right? Yeah. Um, but once again, it's just it wasn't my time, right? He was three years older than I was, right? I mean, we had a different game, right? Where he was more of kind of a shot blocker. Yeah. Not really an offensive threat. Yeah. Um, but we had battles in practice, man. You know what I mean? So it was for me. It was just once it was it was like a clock, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once my time was there, capitalize off it, right? And it was really just me and David Dubois. Yeah. So you know, it was just yeah, it was just timing, I think, and and it just all kind of fell into place. So it's odd, man. You know, you said you had you had to bide your time. You know, and every time you know, I I, I read these articles and they always talk about the mind of an athlete. And the only the only definition I can ever come up with is confused, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Complicated mm-hmm. and in need of some serious clarity. Because, you know, like we live in a secular world. You know, we we're, we're the best at where we are and everybody, you know, kisses our butts. <laughs> but it's I, it's great that you said that you had to bide your time. Mm-hmm. Sam and I have talked yeah. about this, you know, for the longest about what the athletes are going through now. No one bides their time. Yeah, none of the kids right. now. Everybody no. just finds an AAU team that they can be the star on, and right. they, yeah, yeah. they don't have to put in the work. And then mm-hmm. when they finally face adversity, it's like, right? Do Do you think the adversity you faced off the court? And I'm not here advocating for kids to go through terrible. Like I wouldn't want any kid to go through the childhood you went through. Sure. So I'm not here like, oh, you should you should go through hard times so that it'll right. make you better for it. But yeah. like, but do you think the adversity you faced growing up that had nothing to do with sports? Um, helped you in dealing with adversity on and off the court later on in life? Yeah, I, I would say, right? I mean, definitely, you know, I have some thick skin, right? Um, but, you know, as far as, I guess, college, right? And then yeah. you look at, you look at, you know, me sitting, sitting on, basically sitting on the bench for two years, right? And biding my time, waiting to get in. It just, for me, I didn't, Sometimes in basketball, if you overthink things, right, you stop making mistakes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I just had the mentality where I was like, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to give you the ball. I'm just going to go, right? So, no, I didn't dwell on it. Um, I was having fun, man. I think you can talk to those other yeah. guys. I mean, if anyone had fun in college, it was me. So you're saying this, and this is what I'm getting out of it, because, like, you know, Sam and I spoke, this is a, a suicide prevention month, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got that phrase in basketball that says, one more, one more. You want that one more pass. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're sitting there your freshman year, you can't play, right? You mm-hmm. know that no matter what you do, you can't step on the court, but you figured out that it was worth doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it was, a, for me, you start thinking, right? All right, well, it's, you know, coming on to year two, what should I do? Should I transfer, right? Mm-hmm. Should I go, should I, but... You know, I believed in Coach G, and I believed in Woodward, right? Mm-hmm. And they believed in me, right? And mm-hmm. they just, you know, if, if you, you got an opportunity, capitalize off it, right? So it could have went another way, right? Maybe if I didn't put in the work, right, David Dubois would have, you know, yeah. played the majority of the game, right? So yeah. for me, it was just capitalizing off off that time and not not overthinking anything, you know what I mean? What was that toughest moment for you, where you, where you were on the edge of saying yes or no? I think it was when I had thrown um, a couch out the second floor of my study hall. That would do it. <laughs> and I hit, a kid, I hit a kid in the leg. Are you serious? And Coach G said, I think you should transfer. <laughs> and 
no bullshit. This is this is verbatim. This is. I think you should transfer. And I go, I'm not going anywhere. He goes, I go, I'm not going anywhere, coach. So was this before you were getting playing time? So yes, this was this was prior. So really, he he had no. You know what I mean? There was no real stake in the game, but. Um, I was the only kid to, I still think I hold this record, to get kicked off campus and then get kicked back on. <laughs> so. You can't stay here. You can't stay here. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, I thought I was going to be at the Black Bear Inn, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, no, it was, uh, it, yeah, I, I think emotionally, right, when you're not playing and you, you, you know you have the ability to go out there mm-hmm. and produce and you don't get that opportunity. Um, but. Once again, you know, I think my upbringing is a little bit different, right? So maybe mm-hmm. somebody who's, you know, has had the ball in his hand, right? Yeah. Has never real seen any real competition. Mm-hmm. That might be a tough adjustment for them. But for me, listen, man, you know, I'm here. You know, I and I'm I'm a bit of a visionary, where I I look at the the big picture, and you know, he was thinking transfer. I'm thinking shit. I'm gonna lose credits, right? Like. Right. I always wanted to get, I knew how important it was, you know what I mean, to to get your degree. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even get it right away. You know, I dropped, I still needed nine credits that I was taking during the summer. And that's and that's when uh, Frank Catapano goes, Mark, we got this opportunity over in Riga, Lafia. I go, how much a month? $7,000? <laughs> Drop those classes. Let's go. Get my yeah. ticket. So, um, because... Right? What's your scholarship check per semester? Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, if you're living off campus, what, 5,400? Mm-hmm. Then if you have the ability to get a Pell Grant, what's the next area, what, 1,500? Mm-hmm. The fact that I was able to stretch like seven grand over six months is just truly amazing. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I, I just think I'm a true believer in, and, you know, it goes back to, you know, paying your dues and understanding um, because I was doing the work in practice, no question. You know what I mean? And they saw it, right? So, I think there was a write-up, too, that Coach G did something online or something like that, and he specifically was like, listen, you know, Mark's, Mark's had to pay, pay, pay his dues, right? And now he's got the opportunity, so um, just capitalize on it, right? How, how hard was it going into your senior year when Giannini – because senior year, I know that was a really tough year. Um, mm-hmm. for, stuff, for stuff that we'll talk about in a second, sure. you and me both kind of have this bond yep. over having lost someone. Um, but your senior year before that, you're coming off of a junior year that's really a breakout. Mm-hmm. You're all-conference – uh, people felt like it was out of nowhere inside of Maine. People didn't think it was out of nowhere, but the the greater mm-hmm. kind of conference. And then Giannini takes it, and he's had a couple 20-game winners. Mm-hmm. You guys have had this core that's been to two championship games, your fresh, your redshirt freshman year and then yep. your redshirt junior year. You guys lose both of them, but you're like, we're, we're knocking on the door. Two out of these three years have yeah. been eligible. We've been in the chip. And then Giannini... Uh, takes a job at LaSalle. Mm-hmm. How how tough was that to deal with him not, leaving? Not uh, obviously selfishly, like, yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, you know, losing a coach like that. But I think the greatest transition was Coach Woodward coming in, right? You know, filling filling that role. So, you know, I think if if you use that as frustration, right, you can't not. I mean, he's 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 bettering himself, right? Yeah. He's providing a better uh, you know financial yeah you know situation for his family. Um. And I'm a true believer. If you're not growing, you're shrinking. So, you know, you know, and he could have stayed at Maine. He could still be a coach at Maine yeah. if he really wanted to, right? But, you know, yeah. where do you, you know, where does it, where does it end, right? So, um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a hard tra- transition at all. Um, I think Coach Wood did a great job 
Um, it was new to him, right? But he's been he was a he was a great assistant, um, you know, for many many years prior to that. So, you know, our offenses didn't change too much. Um, I think we only lost who did we lose? Dobson. We lost Dobson. Um, and Udo. And Udo, yep. yeah. Man, Udo, that boy could jump. Yeah, he really. The Bulgarian, the yeah. Bulgarian bouncer. Yeah. <laughs> this dude had a forty. Remember? He, he was had a forty. Insane. He had a forty, was... like a forty-three inch vert. I remember him before before game at Northeastern. Just he was like standstill, just threw it up yeah. off the backboard. He's like six one, maybe. He was listed yeah. at six two. He's probably mm-hmm. maybe six one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He standstill, just throws it off the backboard from maybe like eight feet out. Just just a gather step goes up, catches it. Yeah. Brings it down, Easy. dunks it behind his head. Mm-hmm. And I was just yeah. like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Right, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Marco Milicic yeah. or somebody like that. I, yeah. 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 So he actually ended he was he was at BC. Yeah, and they he transferred to you guys. And yeah. And, you know, I think that main BC connection is huge. Yeah. Because you look at guys like Andy Bedard, you know, and, that was at BC. And Nate Fox. Nate Fox, Fox you know. uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and those guys were, you know, what really had me excited about Maine was when I came up during that summer and Andy and Nate were just in the gym yeah grinding sweating putting in the work right um and then I'm a true believer in first impressions right um you know those guys immediately it was like you know family right so for me who didn't have that really yeah you know what I mean yep um and to be four and a half hours away in the sticks yeah. you know what I mean um it was it was pretty it was pretty pretty special. Plus, let's be honest, no SATs. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere else. <laughs> so my uh, you know what I mean. My yeah. options were yeah. limited, mm-hmm. but no, it was uh, it was a great experience from from tip to tail. Your senior year, and I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, you know, Flav's Mark Flavin's kind of his year is kind of up and down. We're expecting another leap. You know, you you your best friend whose family. Mm-hmm took you in you you lost him your senior year mm-hmm. i don't know what you're willing to, to say yeah no no that. um yeah um december 16th it was the days of member the motorola razor yep mm-hmm. um i remember my antenna had broke off on it you know i kept getting a call kept getting a call from uh i call him mr d who's basically you know my adopted father um kept calling calling like what's going on so i didn't have any reception i had to run to the top i had to drive to the top yeah. of the hill um you know, and you know, I, this is a, a guy that was a jack of all trades, tough, um, and just to hear like his voice, like I knew something, you know, he, no words came out. He could, cause he couldn't say it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, he explained that, uh, you know, David taking his life, you know what I mean? And uh, I didn't believe it, you know, it's for me, you know, it was, he was really the only, you know, family that I had, right? So yeah. things, you know, you start you start overthinking, you know, should I have been reaching out to him more, yep. right? I'm four and a half hours away. He didn't go to college. Yeah. You know, but he was somebody that I looked up to. You know what I mean? He was five nine, a brick shit house, looked like Sylvester Stallone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he had life, right? And it's just I couldn't, you know, for me, I couldn't I just couldn't comprehend it. You know yeah. what I mean? So it was definitely, uh, you know, it, it, it'll shake you, right? Because it's when you don't have any direction and you don't have, that's the only lifeline, right? Mm-hmm. That's your security blanket, right? That's gone, right? So what do you start to do? You start overthinking, yeah. right? So, yeah, um, you know, you know, by far the hardest 
you know time in my life right it's there's no there's nothing you can do right yeah there's no pill you can take there's no drink you can drink yeah right it's just grieve right grieve and then get awareness yeah right I, I lost my best friend it would have been it was October no sorry September coming up on the anniversary September 29th 2002 so my freshman year of college um, and and it was you know it was the same thing um, my best friend had had I, I guess it, it was depression you don't really realize it when you're younger he'd just have some be in bad mood sometimes mm-hmm. but like full seemed like full life you know, seemed like everything was going great for him at that point. You know, great sense of humor with someone that, honestly, he cared more about my athletic career than I did. Right. It kind of got me going. Like, he was, you know, he, he'd come to my games and be asking about stuff. Yeah. And um, his mom called my mom. My mom, sorry, this was my sophomore year of college, not freshman year. Um, but I just remember my mom being despondent. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And then yeah. she explained it to me. My dad came over, um, and him and my mom weren't together, but he reeked of cigarettes, and he'd given up cigarettes in the 70s, mm-hmm. so I knew he was stressed He was stressed about it because he was really like this with, with, mm-hmm. my, with my best friend. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that you're, you just, your, your brain, you start playing over and over and over again, like, what did I miss? What could I have done differently? And for a long time, there was, for me, it was like a, a ton of guilt of like, well, I, I should have reached out more. I should have mm-hmm. seen this coming or like, you know. Uh, you know, just all the different things, and 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 it, it's it's funny. It's you know we're like uh, it'll be 19 years um, this month, and I still miss them. Yeah, you know, like oh, yeah. I, I think about all the things that we missed out on together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just I don't know, I don't think anything prepares you for it. You no. know, a month, a month later, my dad was gone. He mm-hmm. had his accident, and that was that was that. And um, but like it. it Something about losing someone you love to like to, to a suicide is just yeah. But that's what they. I mean, when people commit suicide, I mean, what they leave behind is a lot of grief, man. Of course. I mean, yeah. you guys are still you're still suffering from that. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. some. And I, I'm saying this in the, the the most delicate way I can. That's some selfish shit. It is. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think do, I think it's it's one of those things that when the level of grief that someone must be feeling internally to do something like yes, that. Yes, yes. It's, I think you're not even aware of, mm-hmm. of how much it's going to impact but other people because you're just, you're so you're lost, lost in the darkness, you, you know? Yes. Like, so, but how do you, so when, I mean, your, your wife's a trauma expert, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. tra- trauma is, is how you, is what's going on after the events happened, yeah. right? It's not the event itself, it's what's going on afterwards. Of course. So how do you speak to, I mean, I, I think what we want to do is we, we, we reach out, I mean, as much as you can, sure. right? And in the, in the end, I mean, we're, we all have children, so, you know, how do we know when our children are feeling that way? The only thing we can do is just constantly talk to them, be, mm-hmm. be an active parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it scares me. You know, I, I, uh, I think some of the guilt I felt is, to be honest, like, I, I am a, a, I'm a two-time survivor of attempts myself, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and I haven't had a feeling or an urge like that in a very, like, we're talking... So did it, decade. Invo- did it involve medication? So, um, not for me, no. Not for you, okay. Um, 
therapy, getting in a better place in life. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, some of it was like, what's really scary is like when you're a teenager and your body's going through all these changes and your hormone levels. Like when I think back on how I thought sometimes as like a teenager, Mm -hmm. I'm like, that thought process doesn't even make sense to me now Mm -hmm. that it's so foreign. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I worry about my own kids and about like, am I going to see the signs? Am I going to be, you know, cause I don't want to be too, I don't want my, my kids to, to think that I'm just like a, a nervous, neurotic parent. So you don't want to hover so much about that because that has its own mm-hmm. thing. But like right. you worry. And I, I think the only thing that you can do is, well, I don't want to say the only thing because I'm not an expert. I'm well, just no, someone that's right. dealt with, with grief mm-hmm. of losing well, someone. Yeah, I would say that your experience is, is your expertise. Yeah. Is, <laughs> right. is right. Be, be, be aware, reach out to people. Mm-hmm. And if you, something feels like it's off, like listen to that mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. try and steer them towards help. Try and talk to their families. Mm-hmm. Let their families know that you're right. like, hey, like mm-hmm. I, this is going on. It's not feeling right. But I don't know. I'm not sure what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think, too, when it happens when you're you're so young, right? Yeah. And I say young. I mean, I was, what, 20, yeah, 21 years yeah. old, right? And that's that's young. Yeah, that's it is. Young, your brain's so. still not fully yeah, developed. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, you, I guess you... You always question, right? You question, and then, then the PTSD starts, starts yeah. to set in too, right? Where it's like you constantly you now it's like, you know, it's controlling your mind. And I think that's what happened with me, right? Because yeah. it was, you know, he was always there, right? Yeah. You know, and it was, I looked up to him, right? And I'm like, I wanted to kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to be like him. Yeah. So for me, not seeing those 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 signs, right? You start questioning yourself again, but. Yeah, I think now, going through it, um, you know, we do a lot of different suicide awareness walks. Yeah. Um, they just had one up in, in at the University of New England up in Biddeford, Maine. Oh, nice. Three years ago, so. Yeah. We did one together did uh, a while we did back. One, yeah. yeah, right outside of BU, I yeah. think it was, yep. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. Communicate, right? Awareness. And you talk about your children and things like that. I think the good thing is... you. You, you know your children better than they know themselves, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So you spend so much time with them. If you start to see those signs, right, you, I think you can address them quickly, right? And just yeah. let them know you're not alone, right? Yeah. You're not. Things will get better, right? Yeah. They really will. Um, and just communicate because I watch a lot of different – I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Look at, you know, yeah. a lot of these different leadership guys, and they talk about, you know, not just business all the time, right? It's emotions, right, and culture and – you know, you hear these guys that say, you know, I asked this guy, how's he doing? I'm okay. Like, that man's not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if he has a different personality, right? If he's mm-hmm. more upbeat, you know, he's got that type A. Mm-hmm. Now, you might get that from an introvert or something like that, which yeah. is fine. But that shouldn't be coming from a type A. Yeah. You know. Um, so, I think educating yourself on just some of those signs, right? But, I mean, mental health is, is, is a serious, serious problem and issue we have, right? And you've seen it all the time. We've seen it with, you know, the way the police are reacting, right? Yeah. To a lot of to a lot of these so-called criminals, right? Yeah. You know, I would say half of those, you know, are mental health, right? A lot of it is. So, yeah, even, I'm not an expert. Even the police yeah. would be involved in that mental health. One hundred percent. I mean, through these guys. So, what what do you think? I'm interested in your thoughts now with um, with social media, mm-hmm. and we're talking about our children. The influence that social media has on finding acceptance through it, rather than than them finding acceptance in themselves. Now, how do you curb that? How how do you mitigate against 
too much social media. Well, that's I. We're, our children are at a tough, tough time mm-hmm. right now. I mean, social media has consumed us, right? Yeah. And you know, you look at bullying. I mean, right. from a bullying standpoint, right? It's it's hard. It's hard. I, you know, I have a love hate relationship with social media, right? And but, you know, I still remember being young, six, seven. You know, mm-hmm. getting bullied a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it's not it's not fun. But to have these avenues, right, where it just doesn't end at school, mm-hmm. you know, they're coming home. I think that, you know, and listen, I can't, I'm not an expert on it, but I think there needs to be initiatives in place, right, where that social media should be controlled from a, uh, you know, I think from a student, you know, whether yeah. it's middle school, you know, junior high, high school. But like I said, I'm not an expert on it. It's tough. But yeah. I think being involved as a parent right and kind of controlling that you know yeah. my son's got an ipad right but we've got the parental control yeah right? same here mm-hmm. so you know that's how you curve that i would say um but he's got his work cut out you know yeah. we're in different times right now where it's not just like i said it's not that 8 a.m to 2 30 p.m impact right that stuff starts to come home you know what i mean now it's on it's on you know instagram it's on facebook right right it's, it's not you know yeah. So what do you think? How do you how do you stop? So we, we, we've got the social media aspect down. What do we do for our children? Because it's, it's not the computer, right? It's mm-hmm. not what they're specifically what they're looking at. It's, how do we it's, help their thought process? It's really tough, man. I mean, I feel like, I don't know. My, I wife, my wife would be the expert to have one here, mm-hmm. but I feel like we just, I don't feel like we're empathetic enough as a society. It starts with, like, kids and stuff. And, and, and kids naturally, like... <laughs> They're just so innocent, and they just want to learn, and they're, well, they're like sponges, kind, right? And, right. and so it's stuff right. they're picking up. Like, my son, one of the greatest things, just the purest things about him is how much he loves going to the Dollar Tree, which we call, which he calls the dollar <laughs> shop, like, for just little cheap crap as yeah. a once-in-a-while thing. Literally, it's like we could spend $8 mm-hmm. there, and he will think it's the greatest mm-hmm. thing in the world that yes. he got to pick out. And it's like, I just use that as an example of, like, kids are extremely innocent until mm-hmm. adults fuck it up you know like yeah. and i don't know what the answer is to create like a, a more empathetic society and, and more involved par- well, i think I, there I, needs I, to be additional training yeah on it and that starts with teachers right and now let's get into that's a whole nother subject right i mean our teachers are and i didn't realize it right when you don't have a child you don't look at how <laughs> underpaid yeah i did it for 10 years right. man <laughs> until i got out it was awful yeah underpaid and then you wind up i wound yeah. up spending i i can't even it was a silly number compared to my paycheck out of my own pocket every year to just get the amount of supplies in my classroom that we needed because mm-hmm. they'd be like oh there's your classroom and i'd be like oh wow so we don't have half the supplies that i need to actually right. teach these yeah. kids right. well you know that's the budget cuts and it's like but that's just talking about culture right we mentioned know. culture yeah. earlier so what's the culture what culture will the child be in mm-hmm. because if you're underpaid as a teacher and you're a parent You've got yeah. so much to worry about. Your own kids, right. the kids that the system doesn't seem to care about. That, right? That's why I, That's why I got, one of the reasons why I got out, um, and COVID exacerbated everything, but was being like, okay, I have a child. At the time, it was like, I'm planning on having a second child. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm so invested in my kids at school. And it's like, I'm giving so much of myself there. And then I'm coming home and my own kid, like, I'm pretty drained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm feeling like I'm in a position of, like, do I, am I not the best teacher I can possibly be? So I'm saving some of myself for when I get home to be with my own kid. Or, 
and then all the added administrative stuff that came with COVID. Right. It just got to be too much, and it was like, that's why the the the, the teacher burnout rate is like at an all time high. It's crazy, right. it so, you know. It it, it yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. So there is no safe space then. There really isn't. You know, because you're burned out as a great teacher. So, and there's no help for and you. And that was when I knew. Right, and underpaid. Yeah. So you can't even replenish your energy. Yeah, that was right? when I knew I had to get out is that I was like, I don't want to turn into like a bad teacher. The mm-hmm. kids are going home. Right. Like, mm-hmm. oh, God, I, I have Sam. Like, yeah. he's he's not even there, you know. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's there, but he's not even paying attention. Like, I never yeah. wanted to be that. Right. And that's when I was like, I'm, I'm worried that I'm about to go down that corner with that, mm-hmm. with everything, mm-hmm. with the lack of being, wow. the lack mm-hmm. of a paycheck and 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 just the the lack of time to kind of recharge at the end of the day because people think like oh you know you're out at you're done at three and it's like well no the kids leave at three but then you got a lesson plan you got to have admin meetings you got to respond to parent emails of kids in crisis it's like I was on the clock. I gotta watch out for flavor and detention. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? I felt like I was on the clock from the moment I woke yeah. up to the moment I went to bed, and it's not like a job where being on the clock for that long, you can see a financial payoff. Like I made some more sales, and now mm-hmm. we can go take a vacation because of it. It's like mm-hmm. I'm getting paid the same no matter how much I put into it, which right. is not mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just you know. And I hate the narrative, too, that I see it online all the time. And I try to just stay uninvolved at this point because me on social media is bad news. I get into arguments. I mean, Flav <laughs> ran me in. For a while. Uh, to be honest, like, my wife said something the other day, too. And I was like, Flav said that to me. And it's, it's resonated. Is like, my tone online sucks. Mm. Like, I can be come off as super condescending. And so I'm just trying to get into less conversations online mm. because I don't mean it. And Flav's the first one who pointed this out to me. Like, mm. Like, you talk to people like you're talking down to them. And I'm like, that's something I really need to work on when I'm online. And not to get too sidetracked, but anyways. uh, But, like, I see these people talking about, oh, well, teaching should be about for the love of the kids. And it's like, it is. That's why you're going into it. That's what, like, as a special ed teacher, I was working with trauma populations. Mm-hmm. That's why I go into my class every day and I could be like, hey, how's it going? Go fuck yourself, Sam. Yeah. And I wanted right. to be there and I loved it. And right. it's like, it's clearly about love of the kids and knowing they're through stuff. But they're going through stuff. Exactly. But it's like, family. it can't only be, no one's going into teaching expecting to become a millionaire, but you should at least be paid enough that, like, you can support your family. You don't need to have mm-hmm. a side hustle and a summer hustle and a, mm-hmm. you know, and and be living in a little apartment. Right. You know, you see, so a, you hear these stories of teachers, right, where they're teaching all day and then they get out of school and they're driving Uber. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's nuts. I mean, you, you know, you, that should not happen. And, and right. how can you be a teacher that the next generation needs to be the best? future adults they can be if you're literally you're getting up to the school at 6 30 you know to open up then you get out of school you scarf down food and then you're like ubering or you're working as a bartender at night or something and it's like and massachusetts is a state that like we pay our teachers our public school teachers overall better than most other states so i can't imagine what it's like to be a teacher in mississippi right or missouri or texas or florida like so uh, yeah (laughs) so what we're saying is is that i mean to me, it seems to me that we're, we're leaving our children to fend for themselves because the teachers that we trust to teach them can't do it because they're not supported mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. So our children have no other choice. They're, they're either doing it by themselves or they're in a family that has, that has two parents that have to work. So now they continue to raise themselves by themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. No, no. One of the other things I heard, a uh, really interesting stat, 
because people will talk about like, oh, well, we want to, we need to move to the suburbs for the good school systems and the good all this. Mm-hmm. And an interesting thing to me is that if you look at what's being done in the classrooms in like the city schools, so like Lowell, mm-hmm. I, I live in Lowell now, no shame of that. I lived in Worcester before. Love, great, love me some great, gritty, gritty great cities. Hospital there. Great, great yeah. general hospital. Yeah. <laughs> um, great interventional radiology division. There. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Jennifer Edwards, <laughs> lead tech. <laughs> uh, but, but like people, people we we look at like well, 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 like if we if we're able to buy a house, move next, you know, into a community like like Wilmington or you know where we are, where the studio is or right. somewhere else, like oh, the better schools. And it's like a lot of these city schools, though. They started doing stuff 10 years ago as far as the way that they're teaching, the way that they're implementing well, the lesson plans. The MECO system, right? Yeah, and the MECO system and just the, the way that they're integrating tech that now the suburban schools are following their lead like 10 years after. So it's not the schools that are bad in mm-hmm. a lot of these cities. If you look at the issue is, and it shows you how much having a support system mm-hmm. and a good supports at home is, the differentiator between the kids that are good board scores and doing well and, you know, really great academically that you're seeing, like, the higher scores in the suburbs versus the city mm-hmm. is it's all the outside supports outside of school. You have a kid who lives in Concord, Massachusetts. You know, they probably still, a lot of the families over there somehow, they still have a stay-at-home parent. Only one of them works because mm-hmm. they have so much money. Mm-hmm. And so they've got a parent around them full-time. They're able to be in all these extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. They're able to get a tutor. They're able to... That's all outside of school versus yes. a kid in Lowell where both of his parents have to work and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he's not getting those same supports. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something that gets lost, too, when people will be, like, blaming the teachers mm-hmm. for, for and blaming the school system for, like, well, why aren't our kids doing as well? And it's, like, because, like, kids that are in, in tougher situations, you like, Flav growing up didn't have all these kind of supports around mm-hmm. him to mm-hmm. be able to, outside of school, help. But the problem is our society is set up that way, yeah. right? You know, you talk about both parents working. Yeah. And you look at, you know, Elon, Elon Musk just spoke about our population right now. Yeah. You know we are in a population crash right now? Yes. We are, we are very, people talk about, you know, the Chinas of the world, right? Yeah. In, in overpopulation. We are in a very scary point in life when you talk about, evolution yeah and you talk about the future because the way it's set up you look at childcare. i just you know my son had had gone to daycare he only oh goes God. four days a week you know three hundred dollars a week mm-hmm. you know what yeah. i mean for you know for four days that's not even yeah. five days mm-hmm. so you look at that parents now if you have more than, you know, if you have more than one you have two, to both work you have or yeah. or vice versa you ha- you don't go to work because now you're paying six, seven hundred dollars a week. It's actually cheaper to just to stay home with the kid. Yeah. And what does that do? Yeah. What does that do to inflation? What does that do to society? Yeah. Right. Also for development for your kid, you know, um, my so both my kids, Jack and Avi, they I would say started. Jack started like preschool a little bit later, um, and and he was pretty nonverbal. And then once he got around other kids, he came out of a shell. And then Avi had, like, a lot of health stuff, so we couldn't really have him start with daycare mm-hmm. until now. Um, and it's super expensive, to, so we both have to work to be able to have him in daycare. But he's just grown so mm-hmm. much, like, personality-wise and everything, mm-hmm. just from being around other kids. Well, it's life experiences, yeah. right? That's yeah. that's one thing, too, even though you're you dishing out that, you know, we don't have the ability, right? Yeah. To, he's not going to have those, you know, interactive different 
skills yeah. that he's developed, right? So, yeah, I think that, you know, I think we're in a tough, tough situation. But when it comes to teachers, right, especially, you know, they're neat. It, we've been talking about this for decades, yeah. right? I mean, my wife, you know, she's got a degree in sociology. Yeah. But she started in elementary education. She wanted yeah. to teach. And then she... She went and taught, substituted, yeah. you know, at a school, and she said, nope. No. Yeah. Nope. Well, this isn't for me, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think we there needs to be some sort of change, some reform. We need to figure out how to compensate, right? Yeah. Um, you know, because if you have police officers, right? And listen, I've got law enforcement in my, yeah. in, you know, my, my wife's family. But you have some of these, you know, where they're making time and a half, double time, right? And they're pulling in $160,000 yeah. a year, right? And listen, they deserve... But what about those teachers that are making sixty, seventy thousand? Yeah. right? And those are the ones, right, that are eight hours a day with your with your child, yeah. right? developing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's one of those things that people don't realize. They they see public safety and they're like they see tragedy and they're like, well, that could can be averted by having good public safety. Mm-hmm. I like look, I I think we, we need to have good great public safety, mm-hmm. well trained, held accountable too, which doesn't really well, happen so much. But but I do, and that's that's really important. But also the other side of the coin is like. If you look at the communities that have the best outcomes, when you look at like low crime rate, mm-hmm. like graduation rate, employment rate, all that stuff, like the 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 big differentiator is like education, and then job opportunities, like employment. But it's like teachers play a vital role, good teachers and mm-hmm. good schools, in keeping a community safe. Mm-hmm. Because if kids are going there and they're being taught and they have hope and they, mm-hmm. they're developing where they are eight hours a day, mm-hmm. they're less likely to go get into bad stuff. And then once you get into bad stuff, then you get in the system and then you get really messed up as a person from being in the system. Yeah. And it's like I don't think that the public safety di- like discourse has included the importance of education and like a good mm-hmm. school system mm-hmm. nearly, nearly but enough. I think that comes home too, right? Yeah. You just can't leave it at school right yeah oh totally i totally i'm a, I'm yeah. a product of that right yeah. it was just pushed mm-hmm. yeah it was just pushed through right yeah never i never did homework you know what i mean yeah never did but still i said somehow you know i still graduated high school right yeah. and for me it's just i think that comes in you know yeah. what's your impact as a, as a parent too right because yes i think you can you can control that right there might be some outside influences during the day but you have that you have that yeah. quality time to be able to redirect them if they're yeah. starting to, you know, That's the come point off that I wanted to get to, that it has to start with the parents. Yes. It yeah. has to, right? The children are not our future. We are the present. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it can't be any other way because you can't depend on a, um, a teacher who is stressed the hell out. It's not that they don't want to do it. Right. But they can't. And if they, have, in, 18, if they have 18 kids in a classroom, I mean, how? Yes. I mean, how much? Yeah. You know, and everyone learns... Different. Differently, I'm a visual mm-hmm. learner, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You give me a book, my ADD kicks yeah. in. Yeah, right. that's I'm, my I, my son Jack I, is right. like that, but he's yeah. like if he can get his hands on Touch something, that, yeah. that's yeah. how he. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm a repetition yeah. visual guy all day, right? Mm-hmm. So, I want to ask you, Mark. That we've we've I know we're kind of up against it time wise a little bit, and we haven't even talked about the the post college basketball journey. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's a, a topic for another day, but. How were you able to transition when you got to that point in your career where you felt like it was over? And, and if, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly from all of our talks, it was really you didn't have a choice. Your body, your back, you, you just it was one there of those. There were some that, other contributing factors, yeah. too, that came into it. Um, you know, but I think the, the main thing was, you know, when you get in a Marcane shot yeah. in your back and you come home, 
you know, and you you're struggling to bend over to tie your shoes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, anatomy and biology is 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 very unique. You look at guys like Shaquille O'Neal, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, back in the basket from a 275 pound guy, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And everybody's body reacts different. Yeah. So, um, I think you you try to trust your body a little bit too. Yeah. Um, you know, and then. You know, I started thinking long term again, right? Like, okay, this is fun. I love hoops. I'm fortunate, um, but I'm trying to build generational wealth, right? Yeah. So, when I start to think like that, what can I do? What's going to put me right? What's going to put me in the best position to win? So, yeah, it was tough. I mean, you know, one of the things was I was going to play another year. I had a contract signed in Mexico. Um, I remember Mike Marms getting all set up, and then all of a sudden, three weeks before I was supposed to fly out, the team, no response, nothing. And, uh, you know, I'm training yeah. all summer. I look at it, and I'm like, wow. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know, then he comes back. It was from a sustain. I mean, at that time, for me, it was a substantial amount of money. I mean, it was $11,000 a month. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, my agent comes back with, well, we got this opportunity in Austria, it's, but it's only $4,700. i am like, What? You know what I yeah. mean? So, with my body breaking down, right, me starting to think long term, um, you know, I just started, you know, researching. You know, what can get me paid, right? Yeah. What can get me to the to custom to making, you know, comfortable living and then, right? Yeah. Where I can start investing and start, you know, building. So, you know, reached out to some, some of my old college teammates, right? And once again, it falls into the... the you know, paying your dues, right? You know, I've been traveling overseas for five years, coming back, and I knew I wanted to get into medical device, right? These were these reps were making, you know, half a million dollars a year, yeah. of course, a million. But once again, you got to pay your dues. So didn't understand the whole B2B business acumen, things of that sort. So I started with a company called Sintas. you know. I busted my ass, you know, sold shirts, pants, rags, right? But once again, it afforded me that opportunity to really learn the business world, right? And if you're successful in that position, right, because it's new business only, there's no yeah, there's no residual residual. So if you're not producing, and they love athletes, right? So mm-hmm. if you're not producing, they don't have a they don't have a position for you. So did that for three years and then got my break into medical. Um a company called Biomet 3i and uh they were I was in their oral maxofacial division, so a lot of different you know, dental implants, bone material, membranes, things of that sort. But it was mostly private practice. The money was the money's made in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. private practices, you're asking that person to spend their money. Yeah. Right? right. Where when you're in a healthcare system, right? Yeah. The GPOs kind of orchestrate. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of that. So, um, did that had very successful four years, um, and then a company called Argon Medical Devices that's still. Uh, privately owned uh, out of Texas they're they've got a great market marketplace in the vascular uh, soft tissue biopsy space and then just became a sponge right um, I'm a true believer in learning best practices right I don't think I've done anything that has you know pioneered or reinvented the wheel I just try to take a little bit of other people's best practices and mm-hmm. that's what seems like mm-hmm. it's, it's worked for me um, yeah, so, and then, you know, did that for two and a half years. I had uh, stock options. We were looking to go public on the Hong Kong exchange, and then COVID hit. 
so for the f first time, so med device has always been recession proof. Right. First COVID eliminated that. Wow. And, you know, it's, if you've got a mechanical thrombectomy device that you're trying to pitch this vascular surgeon, oh, I see you're using your competition, that's great. Check out the features and benefits of this, but I can't get into the hospital, right? And a surgeon's not gonna use anything that it hasn't, yeah, yeah, doesn't same. have a minimum five-year clinical study, yeah. and it's not FDA approved, right? So it was tough, right? So I had to become a hybrid almost, right? And kind of think outside the box. Um, and that's when uh, I met two gentlemen, my two business partners, and we branched off um, and started our own business. Uh, so now we've created Intellimed Group, where we are um, very unique in where we manufacture a lot of our own products and we distribute, you know, for other manufacturers as well. So, um, still in the medical us. field. Yeah, medical. Yeah, direct. absolutely. We just submitted um, an RFP for uh, surgical non-wovers, which is essentially like uh, drapes, okay, um, tablecloths, things of that sort. Yeah, four point two billion. Wow. And we're looking to get anywhere between two and five percent of that, right? Wow. So, uh, it's exciting. I haven't got a paycheck in about four and a half months, but <laughs> wow. I see the I see the long yeah. right. I see the, right. I see the long when, long term vision. When you first started and you you took that dive and it seems like it was well thought out about you know you've only got so much longevity left in basketball mm -hmm. and that it's not. You know I know the year to year of of pro hoops overseas people don't get multi year contracts if they're American and there's a lot of that last minute oh mm -hmm. fell through oh it was, and that um. Did you have money in the bank to get started, or, or was yeah. it kind of that, you know, you, yeah. you, had, you were starting over almost again when you changed Bobby careers? can speak about this as well. I mean, the great thing about playing over in Europe, right, is that essentially all your expenses are covered, right? I think your, your biggest expense is your cell phone bill, right? Yeah. You cell know, phone. and the gas, maybe yep. for your yeah. car. Right. So, um, yeah, now it's not like I was rolling in the money coming out, right? Yeah. Like, let's be honest, I'm a mid-major, you know, yeah. Division One that... Doesn't have a 13 inch vertical. It was 26. <laughs> uh, okay. So, all right, Chris Buff. But, right? So, uh, yeah, no, no. It was just, uh, it, it, for me, it was just f figuring it out, right? And then just learning and being a sponge and taking those best practices. Yeah. Because if somebody's doing it right, they're doing it mm -hmm. right for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, listen to them, right? I'm a true believer in that. What, what were the keys? And, and this isn't to get sidetracked, but just for there are young kids that are. Going overseas isn't the same now as when you came out. It's harder. There's less money, I think, unless you're a big superstar. I think that the 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 value of Americans has come down, other than those really, really elite, mm -hmm. and that that just the 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 econ the world economy has made it so those mid level teams that mm -hmm. used to be able to offer seven, eight, nine mm -hmm. grand a month, they don't have that the finances there anymore. But so what what advice do you give? Would you give because if you came back with some money when your career was all said and done? That's more than a lot of young kids that go over there mm -hmm. and, and and play and get paid, but aren't paid mm -hmm. millions. What would, if, what was your advice for for let me, keeping? Let me push back yeah. on that one second. So the way Europe is now, it's um I'm not I'm not necessarily sure necessarily sure that it's harder. And the reason I'm saying this is because now the teams don't deal with as much black market money. They actually they're coming in with investors, sponsors. so the, the sponsors, so the money's there. Yeah. It's just that they're a lot more picky on who they choose. Mm -hmm. 
You know, that, fair that's, point. Fair you know, point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, plane tickets aren't cheap. They, and, they are not. And, you know, if you, as an American, you're over there, you're over there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And if you're not producing, they don't, yeah. they don't have a spot for you, right? So that part, I think, really helped me in life, right? And transitioned into kind of right that whole, you know, eat or die, right, mentality. So yeah, no, I truly believe. I don't know. I mean, Bobby can probably speak speak to it a little bit more, but I don't know if the, the market's more saturated now. Um, but I think the ability to market players is much different, right? Yeah. I think with, obviously, social media and YouTube and things of that sort, right, you're able to to really, because yeah. there be times where you just, I mean, you can make, you can make Sam look like a, you know what I mean, a, an <laughs> yeah, guy yeah, yeah. over here, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a lot easier for the kids uh, in, 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 in this way. You. You can you can send a video now, you know some some clips. But before it was sending a VHS, yeah. mm-hmm. so they would have to the, sit down and look at the whole tape. I know. So you knew that they were interested. So, in this. So, so I guess my my question is this: what what advice do you have to the kids that are lucky enough to go over there? About one, just survival. You played in a lot of different countries. Mm-hmm. What are the keys to surviving? What are the keys to actually hanging on to some of that paycheck so you can use it to get started? I'm not you you. you not saying that you make enough that like that's all you have to do for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. but that it's easier to start your new career if you have a little bit of money in the bank and take some chances than if your career is done and your whole career has been money in, money out, mm-hmm. and then it's like, okay, now I'm 35, 38, mm-hmm. 32, whatever it is, I got to figure out my next my next chapter, mm-hmm. and there's no money in the bank. So what, what, what were your keys to surviving and to coming home with something still in the bank? Yeah, I think... You have to treat it, right? You have to treat this as, if I don't come, correct, if I don't produce, I'm going home, right? So I think you have to take it seriously. I think when I was playing overseas, I took it very seriously. That was a little bit of a kind of a fear factor, too. I didn't want to end up on Locked Up Abroad or something, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I think that, you know, when all you have is, is, is your craft, is basketball, right, it's you don't get so so much sidetracked, right? Because you're you're literally eating, breathing, playing. So, m- I guess my advice is capitalize off the opportunity. I mean, I think there was a couple opportunities that I had that I didn't capitalize off, right? I don't think mentally because you know it falls back into the maturity thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm a late bloomer when it comes to growing up. You know, I, I mean, ten years ago, I think I'm a completely different person. So, and everyone matures d- differently. Yeah, but. I guess my advice is just if you have an opportunity, capitalize off it, right? Because first impression is yeah. huge. huge. And tra- it'll translate into yeah. your business life. There's no question about it. You know, my, uh, when I got to Spain, the, uh, the coach, you know, I, I was new. Um, I, I found out that the world was a lot bigger than my perceptions <laughs> of it, right? A little culture and, shock. Right, exactly. And I'll never, I'll never forget, he said, um, a crecimiento. No ocurre por sí solo. And what that means is that growth doesn't happen by itself, right? And he was telling me, dude, you haven't had that many good games. We've played five, and mm-hmm. two of them have, have not been good, mm-hmm. right? So well, they'll let you know. Grow up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had to grow up. It was no longer the, the soft bed of roses that the, the minor leagues would provide mm-hmm. for me. Right. I've got a tomorrow. You know, there was none. Mm-mm. So it's a results. Listen, point. it's results driven. Yeah. You know what I mean. And but the good thing about that, and I, you know, why I'm so appreciative of the sport of basketball, right, is that those experiences, right, they transition you into real world. 
because we live in a we live in a tough world, right? Mm-hmm. We really do. You know, it's cutthroat. So that results driven, right? Results oriented. That's gonna fall. You know, that's how much time did you put into it, right? Yeah. How much time are you putting into your career? Yeah. You know, how much time are you putting into your family? So there's so many I just I guess my advice would be stay committed. You know what I mean? If you want to, stay committed, yeah. right? But you also gotta have the passion for it too, right? If you start thinking basketball becomes a job, maybe you need to start thinking different avenues, right? right? Where because I think you have to love it, right? So my last question before we go, because this is a story that needs to be told. I'm here holding my mug from my, my alma mater. Ooh. I'm holding it. Go very, Huskies. Go holding Huskies. It. I'm, I'm protecting it because Flav's across the way there. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I need. We need to have this story told of your junior year when you're playing against Northeastern. And uh, was it junior or senior? Year? It was junior year. Was it was it? junior year. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because it was Coach G. That's right. Yeah, it was yep. Coach G. Yep. And uh, there was a headbutting incident, mm-hmm. and I, I need to hear. You this don't have story. that video. I Chris Marquardt had the tape. <laughs> he does? I, I, yeah, I think he said he had it. Or Kay Reed had it. Kevin Reed might have had it, too. Kev does, did not. He all the tapes it? he sent me, he did not have that yeah. one. Maybe Markwood does. Can ask Chris. Uh, yeah, I'll reach out to him. Because I have the ability right here to, to, yeah. to digitize it. But great. I haven't been able to find it anywhere. Right. So, But we need to have that story told. Yeah, no, it was just like <laughs> battle. It was the heat of the battle, right? <laughs> You know, I've always been, I don't, I never considered myself a dirty player, and maybe it was my, uh, you know, I was reading it wrong, because Ben Davis was not a dirty player. No. Hell of an athlete. Hell of an athlete. Yeah. But for some weird reason, those elbows started, and he knocked the wind out of me, and all I saw was red. <laughs> and I thought he did it on purpose. So I just addressed it at half court with my head. Uh, you know, and... <laughs> That he is... swung, he missed, I swung on him, <laughs> connected on him, and then public safety and both both benches cleared, and Coach G said, thank you. Thank you for losing the game, Flair. Thank you. <laughs> we ended up losing that game. And I was having a fucking hell of a game, I know. too. I think I, <laughs> I think I had, like, what, 24? Yeah, and it, was, like it was a great game. It was a great game. It was double-double. Yeah. And then you, you, you had you just, you know, you settled things with a headbutt at you half know, court. Maybe some, you know, I don't know. <laughs> You know, maybe some animosity, some, you know, felt that I was getting uh, <laughs> sidetracked, right? It's that whole, uh, you know, treat the janitor. Yeah. Like treat yep. the CEO mentality, yep. right? <laughs> no. No, shout out to uh, Bennett Davis. Good good people. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today, yeah, man. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Here, it's great. Appreciate you guys. you got to get some air conditioning in this. Yeah, yeah it's hot up in here, right?